Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. This week, we're taking a little bit of a sidestep from the secret space program, and we're going to dive into the men in black, a topic that was suggested by our favorite Reddit user, Simon, who suggested it on our subreddit on Reddit, so you should check that out. That was a lot of times I said Reddit. Well, thank you, Simon, for suggesting that. Although the MIB conspiracy is a sidestep from our SSP series, they have more to do with the SSP than you think. The men in black are a part of Majestic 12. Let me start off by saying that in true two sides of the coin fashion, me and Brie have very different opinions on who or what we think the men in black are. Yes, but let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. Why don't we start where the MIB phenomena began, taking place in 1947 after a UFO crashed in Washington state, known as the Maury Island UFO incident. This is probably the first incident where a witness claimed that a man in black intimidated him into silence. This crash took place before the Roswell crash and has very strong similarities to Roswell. Harold Dahl, his son Charles, and their family dog were out one day on the Puget Sound searching for floating logs along the Sound. Back in 1947, a huge hazard to all the boats inside of the Sound were these floating logs, and it was Harold's job to scan the Sound and wrangle these floating logs back to shore so the company he worked for could sell them for scrap. As the story goes, Harold was near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island, gathering logs when he saw six donuts shaped crafts hovering about half a mile above his boat. Five crafts were floating above one that was lower, so low that Harold took his boat into the shore in fear of the lower craft crashing into his boat. Once on shore, Harold took photos of the crafts interacting with one another. One of the higher crafts came down and touched the lower craft, making a large thud sound. As soon as Harold heard the sound, the sky began to rain debris. At first, Harold thought it was newspaper, but once he was able to pick up some of the debris off the beach, he quickly realized it was white, lightweight metal. Ooh. Chunks of darker colored debris that Harold described as lava rock splashed into the water and even released steam upon contact with the cold water. Several pieces hit his boat, injured his son, and also killed his dog. Oof. It's so sad. I know. The craft sped off and Harold radioed for help, but... To no avail, the radio didn't work. Typical. Super typical. They always say that whenever you have these interactions with aliens and stuff, they have like something weird goes on with your technology and it stops working. So that's very on point. Yes, I guess it must have interfered with that. So after Harold went to the harbor, he told his boss, Fred Chrisman, about the incident and took off for the hospital to treat his son's burns. So the next morning, Harold heard a knock on his door. He opened it to find a man in a black suit who suggested to Harold that they go get some breakfast together. Why Harold was compelled to have breakfast with this stranger is beyond me, but Harold agreed and followed the man's new black Buick in his own vehicle to a restaurant down the street. Surprisingly, the man in the black suit didn't ask Harold any questions, but instead gave a detailed account of what happened to Harold the prior day. After the incredibly detailed account, the man in the black suit told Harold that bad things would happen to Harold and his family if he told anyone about the incident. 
So this kind of encounter with the men in black is super typical. They don't ask questions. They just give you a detailed account of what happened, almost as if they were there when it occurred. And then they threaten you to keep your mouth shut. But of course, Harold didn't keep his story on the down low, as I wouldn't either. No, I don't think I would have either. I would have been telling people. And you know, Harold wasn't the only one who couldn't keep his mouth shut about it. Although Harold's boss, Fred, didn't believe him right after the incident happened, Fred made his way back to Murray Island to take a look for himself at what was going on there. And while he was along the shore gathering rocks and bits and pieces of what he thought was the crash, one of the crafts appeared overhead and Fred described the craft as watching him. So now that Fred had seen the craft with his own eyes, the two decided to send a package to a publisher named Ray Palmer in Chicago. The package contained a box of metal fragments from the crash and statements from the two men about the strange happenings. Ray contacted pilot Kenneth Arnold, who only a few days after the Murray Island incident reported seeing nine unusual objects flying in tandem near Mount Rainier, Washington. Arnold arrived with his pilot friend, E.J. Smith, who had also had a UFO sighting several days after the Murray Island incident as well, and called along his two other pilot pals who were intelligence specialists with the Army, Captain Lee Davidson and First Lieutenant Frank Brown. All the men said that there was something to the story, but had to leave because of a prior engagement that was going on. So Captain Lee Davidson and First Lieutenant Frank Brown took some of the metal with them and took off on their B-25 bomber with a crew of two other additional men. About 20 minutes into their flight, the plane mysteriously crashed. The two additional crew members were able to parachute out and survive the crash, but Captain Lee Davidson and First Lieutenant Frank Brown did not. And also Kenneth Arnold, that was that sighting that we mentioned in our last episode. Yes. So this is about the same time. And there's a lot of speculation about how the plane went down. A lot of witnesses said that they heard anti-aircraft guns shooting at the plane. Precisely, it was a 20 millimeter cannon. Mm -hmm. It forced the FBI to open an investigation. So a lot of the witnesses called into the local newspapers. They claimed that it was the FBI that shot down the plane to cover up Harold and Fred's claims about the UFO. And in true government fashion, the FBI stated that the plane crash was, quote, a terrible incident where one of the engines caught on fire, only leaving enough time for half of the men to escape before a wing broke and struck the tail section, which also broke off. The plane went into a spin, trapping Captain Lee Davison and First Lieutenant Frank Brown inside. So the FBI pretty much blamed Harold and Fred for the death of the two pilots, telling them that the government would not prosecute the two men for the fraud, which has resulted in the deaths of two officers if they dropped the act and admitted that it was all a hoax. Of course, Harold and Fred went along with the FBI's offer to not prosecute them and immediately went and made a statement claiming that they made all of it up, only to come back years later and state that the admitting of the hoax was all forced by the FBI and that the story was always true. You know, and I find it very interesting because like, were they ever really going to prosecute Harold and Frank for the death of those two pilots? Or do no. you think that they were just using it? Because really, I think that if they were really involved and it was really their fault, I don't think the FBI would strike some type of deal like, all right, I won't throw you in jail if you just lie. Like, it just, it seems interesting to me that they threw this out there and that they fell for it. It just doesn't seem right. There's no way that they could prosecute them for that because they obviously weren't at fault. I mean, I know that they put the debris into the airplane and then the airplane mysteriously crashed, but that wasn't their fault. If anything, they're picking up debris that the army wanted them to pick up. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't really make sense. And then if, you know, there's a lot of people that question Fred Crispin, which we'll get into later down on the road, but if he was this sketchy person, let's say, and he was in on the whole thing, did he put that debris into the airplane 
knowing that it would purposely catch fire to bring the plane down. Yeah. I mean, it's a possibility. But that plane crash was only the beginning, and the men in black would hold true to their promise. After Harold was talking too much, bad things did come his way. And also, everyone around him, his wife fell mysteriously ill shortly right after the incident. His son Charles went missing, but was found a few weeks later in Montana with no recollection of how he got there. He was like waiting tables. It was something super strange like that. Harold's business was sabotaged, causing it to fail. And on top of all of that, the writer of the original article about the crash had died. So Harold had enough. He was pretty scared as hell. And then when the FBI gave him the option to come out and call it a hoax, he jumped on board. He was hoping that all the horrible things that would happen to him would just stop. So today, most people believe that Harold and Fred faked the incident, perpetuating the hoax that got out of control. And others believe that the US government was behind a conspiracy that may have involved anything from UFOs to dumping nuclear waste onto the Puget Sound. They believe a shadow government agency sabotaged the B-25 bomber in order to eliminate the investigators and blame Harold and Fred. Modern day Men in Black claims all fall along this script of what Harold first claimed. Some men in black swoop in after UFO accidents, threaten the witnesses into silence in fear of bad things happening to them and the people around them. Although it happens in more than just UFO cases. All cases of the paranormal seem to have this threat of men in black coming after them after some sort of incident. And this is where Brie and I kind of differ on it. So on that note, Brie, what the hell do you think the men in black are? I think in this fashion, it's very obvious that this was a human man in a black suit. It was what they wore. It's what the FBI wore. Of course, there's other incidences that we'll get into where it's definitely more paranormal, where they have a strange thing about them. But in this case, it's very human. It's very just like FBI agents or like undercover agents. I think it's a Majestic 12. It's exactly like what they looked like, what they did. I think this is just a normal cover-up. And we have to take into account that there's going to be a mixture of both. There's no way that every single incident could be something paranormal, like a paranormal version of the men in black, because that's what they wore. They wore hats and they wore black suits. And they drove black cars. And exactly. that's like very governmenty type of thing. See, and I, on the other hand, don't necessarily think that all of these men in blacks are so terrestrial beings per se. And I more believe along the lines that this is some type of galactic men in black. Like they're obviously of some sort of agency, but maybe more space bound and not so earthly bound. So I think that you maybe more get a mix of like, you know, humans and aliens or whatever it is that makes up, you know, the space force that's up there that's coming down here in order to keep things quiet. Yeah, I can see that. I think in just in this instance in particular, it sounds very human to me. Yeah. There's nothing weird about these guys. We know about other stories where they're just totally weird or they come out of nowhere. But in this instance, I don't think that's the case whatsoever. I think it's like kind of obvious that they were just normal humans. Like, you need to shut up about this. A lot of people think that craft was maybe our first mock version of a UFO, like trying to figure it out. And this was the first kind of wave of our own types of crafts into the secret space program. And that's why they were watching it. That's why it was failing. And that's why they knew it had happened. Well, and, and that theory kind of sort of makes sense to me in a way, because if you think about it and you look at about all these different sightings happening in the summer mm -hmm. of 47, in Washington state particularly, there happened to be a lot of UFO sightings all within days of each other. Yeah. All the same kind of big kind of donut shaped crafts. And it's so it's interesting that people are seeing them all over. 
So it sounds like to me that they're out there testing it and then people are catching mm-hmm. a glimpse of it. And then once they figure out how to get the reins going is when we start hearing about all these other crashes like in Arizona and stuff like that with Roswell, all that kind of stuff because maybe they figured out how to fly it and now they're taking it around and they ended up crashing it because they didn't quite have the hang of it yet. I mean, the first time we back engineer a craft, we're not going to get it right at the first go. So they've got to test it out somewhere. And it's all kind of in this Pacific, not necessarily Pacific, but it's all kind of the same area of the United States, like all the way down. Yeah, this like West Coasty kind of area yeah. where all of it seems to be happening, which lines up where Area 51 is, where, you know, the, the Air Force bases, the first Air Force bases mm-hmm. are popping up and stuff like that. So it's interesting that all of these phenomena are happening and not too many people really talk about it anymore because of these, quote, you know, men in black who are coming after saying, hey, if you saw something, don't say anything. Especially at that time with like different wars happening. If you're a country that's trying to back engineer some type of alien technology and you're trying to get it right, you do need to keep it a secret because you don't want anyone else finding out about it. And it's interesting, you know, a lot of people think that it was a hoax just because, you know, what happened, they didn't really come out about it until later. And then that's when Kenneth Arnold saw his sighting and the dates are all confused. Were they the same crafts that, you know, later crashed in Roswell? It's just crazy that it all happened towards the end of that year. And I do want us to keep in mind Fred Chrisman because when we do get into JFK, he does become a suspect in JFK's murder. And it's just interesting. There's a lot of moving parts and we can maybe get into how this could all fit together. It's really hard for us to do. There's just so much. Well, yeah, and we, you know, we started to, to look into the Men in Black and then realize how connected it was to, you know, Majestic 12 and the secret space program in general. But we're trying hard to not so much of this episode link it to any of that because then this episode turns into something different completely. Totally. Especially since in our last episode, I'm like, we're wrapping up the end of the 40s. We're done. But then we had to bring this into the picture with Men in Black because, like you said, it was the first report of people claiming that it was a man dressed in a black suit that was telling them to shut up about what they saw. Yeah, so I think regardless of what you think the men in black are, there's so many instances where the men in black are popping up. Like, for example, the story of Dr. Herbert Hopkins, who was working as a consultant on a UFO case in Maine. And he received a phone call from a man claiming to be a UFO researcher who wanted to visit Dr. Hopkins to discuss the case. Minutes after the phone call ended, the man arrived at Dr. Hopkins' door. The man was wearing a black suit and black tie and had very unusual facial appearances with no hair or eyebrows and had an extremely pale figure. The man asked questions about the case Dr. Hopkins was working on and what happened next can only be described as bizarre. The man in black told Dr. Hopkins that there were two coins in Dr. Hopkins' pocket, which happened to be true, and asked him to take one out. The doctor then removed the coin from his pocket and placed it in the palm of his own hand. The man in black then instructed the doctor to watch the coin carefully. And soon, the doctor watched the coin turn into a silvery blur and eventually disappearing right in front of his eyes. The man in black explained to the doctor that the coin would never be seen on this plane again and asked him if he was familiar with the alleged UFO abductee Barney Hill. The doctor replied yes, but he thought that he had passed away some time ago. The man in black stated that yes, he was dead and that Barney didn't have a heart any longer, just like the doctor didn't have a coin in his hand anymore. 
The man then suggested that the doctor destroy any material he had related to any UFO cases. And he obliged and burnt all of the documents and he never saw a man in black again. Crazy. There was also in the very early 1950s, Dr. Albert Bender, who founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau. And this actually, I think, might have been the very first group of investigators that were looking into this, kind of like an early MUFON. Mm -hmm. It actually got so big, it was like an international thing. And he did tons of research and he had tons of evidence. He was writing a paper about the government UFO cover-up and his paper was going to be published in the Space Review. One day he came out and said, I'm done. I'm done doing this investigations. And of course, with having such a giant following, people were so confused as to why. And for a while, he didn't talk about why he decided to just stop one day. And then later, he ended up coming out that it was because he had this very creepy visit with these men in black. He's home one day and he smells this disgusting sulfur type of smell, which is really interesting because whenever you think about like poltergeists or something like this, it's always this like nasty smell that mm -hmm. comes into the room and he starts to feel sick. He gets dizzy. He lays down and then these three shadowy figures come in out of nowhere. They're wearing, you know, hats. They're wearing their suit and tie men in black attire and tell him that he needs to be quiet. He can't publish this paper anymore. He talked about after that, even though he wanted to continue, he was getting serious phone calls and he still was getting sick. It sounds a lot like people that have weird poltergeist involvements and then they start to get sick, like when ghosts and stuff like that. I don't even know if it's ghosts. But like they're like, draining energy from you yeah, or something. Yeah. And they make you like so sick and dizzy. And then it was all just so freaky to him that he shut down his entire research in the Flying Saucer Bureau, basically lived his life in fear. And I think that just continued until he died. We also have the famous photo taken by Jim Tumbleton, who was shocked to find that a photo he had taken of his daughter had a strange spaceman in the background. And if you haven't looked it up, look up spaceman Jim Templeton. It's a very interesting picture. Jim said he never saw the man in person and that he only noticed him after the film was developed. Famously, Kodak verified the film as authentic and untampered with. And shortly after Jim's story went public, he received a visit from two government agents who introduced themselves as number nine and 10. They were also two men in black suits. Jim expressed that he never saw the man in person and didn't have any answers to their questions. The men became very angry at Jim's unwillingness to cooperate, stormed off, never to be seen again. That's so creepy. Well, it's it's interesting because you would think that a lot of these times, the reason these men in black are showing up is because of some very serious incident that happened. And it's funny that something as simple as a picture even has them knocking at your door. See, to me, that's also more on the paranormal side. And it's important to note that when it is more on the paranormal side, they're seen as being like skinny, frail, lifeless types of people. And it reminds me so much of the black eyed children, mm -hmm. like the description of them. Very if much you think so. of them as just Pale, being tall. Dark eyes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very creepy. In 1966, I think it was, the whole Mothman sightings were happening in Point Pleasanton, West Virginia, which I'm sure everyone knows the story. Long story short, this town was seeing this weird humanoid Mothman type of Who was thing. bringing like prophecies to them about what was going to happen. Well, why they think that is because after a series of people seeing these sightings and then the last time it was seen is when this bridge collapsed, collapsed. and then it was like 34 people had drowned. 
And so people started associating that weird Mothman as being a bad omen. Mm -hmm. Like it was showing up and people were getting freaked out thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? And then all that went down and people were terrified. A lot of people after were seeing men in black and a lot of people got visits from men in black too, you know, to be quiet. And so in that case, going back to your maybe like Space Force type of galactic FBI agency of their own, Mm -hmm. that to me sounds like that could definitely be that kind of case where that's more on the paranormal side for sure. Well, I know a lot of people think that the the Mothman was some type of space alien who was coming down and trying to warn them about all these things that were happening. So it makes sense that the, you know, space FBI men in black people are coming down trying to clean up the mess like, mm-hmm. oh shit, we got one on the loose, guys. We got to, you know, tie up all these ends and keep everyone quiet. It could also be that maybe the government picked up on this phenomenon Mm -hmm. and I mean what if they just keep wearing the suits and then they act a little strange so that you don't know at this point like is this something paranormal or is this something human and normal well then we can also get into the fact that it's quite possibly that these men in black are disinformation agents and they're showing up Mm -hmm. during these things and saying these things in hopes that people do talk and talk about it because then it makes them seem batshit crazy that somebody came to their house and threatened them absolutely especially if you know they're saying that they're getting sick all the time or like all Mm -hmm. this stuff happens definitely there was also another case of the men in black that happened when paul miller was coming home from a hunting trip when he saw a disc in the sky and paul says that the disc landed in an empty field and there were two humanoids that emerged which is actually very low-key similar to lyra's experience about them touching down in a field and then coming out so that's very interesting that that similarity that's very true Paul, for some strange reason, fired his gun. <laughs> what? And what in your mind are you sitting there and you see a, a UFO land and you're like, you know what? I, I should probably shoot, shoot him. Yeah, exactly. And apparently he said that he injured one of them before he sped off down the rural road. So then that makes it even weirder to me. You get out of your car, you shoot at it, you know that you hit it, and then you immediately get back in your car and drive away. Like, none of that makes sense to me, but Mm-mm. all right. And you never know if you're just, like, imagining things and it was a human, and then it's, you just decided to shoot a human or something. Yeah, you didn't even go to, like, check or anything or try to shoot at the other one. You were like, fuck it, I hit one, let's go. That's just, like, that weird mentality that people are like, I don't know what it is, just shoot it. Exactly, kill it. Kill it. So strange. In this exact moment, Paul became aware of the time, noting that three hours had passed since he just saw the craft land. Although he was confused on how that much time had been passed during the short exchange, he shrugged it off and he went home. The next morning, he reported to his job at the Air Force, and upon arrival, he was immediately confronted by three men in black suits. They told Paul that they, quote, had this file, and they even knew about what happened the night before, suggesting that he forget about all of it. It scared Paul enough that it took him years to come out about his story to the public. We also have Danny Gordon, who was a radio personality that also fell victim to the Men in Black. Danny became obsessed with the UFO phenomenon and began to collect photos of alleged UFOs, even snapping his own pictures of a UFO. An entire school bus full of students saw a UFO flying over a shopping mall as Danny captured the photos. And this is where the strange thing started to happen for Danny. He received a phone call from a man claiming to be ex-military who stated, quote, this research could cost you everything and even urged him to stop for his family's sake. Danny was also interviewed by two men in black suits who claimed to have worked for a magazine. Soon after the interview, Danny realized that all of his UFO photos were missing. He contacted the magazine for information and they claimed to have never heard of him and absolutely were not writing an article about him. Danny then suffered a heart attack. 
and while recuperating, his doctor warned him that all the research and stress was going to kill him. Danny gave up his obsession and was never bothered by the men in black again. Creepy. Last but not least, we have the story of Dan Aykroyd. You know, the dude from Ghostbusters. And he's always been interested in the paranormal so much that he was taping a show about it. And one day while recording, he stepped off set to take a phone call from Britney Spears asking him to come on SNL with her. That's pretty funny. I can't even think of like Britney Spears being like, hey, uh, will you come on SNL with me? Well, it's so funny that he name drops in his own story. It's like... <laughs> Maybe he thinks that's going to give him credibility. Well, I think what it is is he's trying to prove the point that it happened because then people actually went back to Britney Spears and Britney Spears was like, no, yeah, I had that phone call with him on that day. So I think what he was trying to do is he was just trying to put as many names to it to, you know, validify what it is that happened. I can totally see that. So he's saying that when he was on the phone with Brittany, mm -hmm. that he noticed a black SUV across the street and he watched a tall man in a black suit exit the vehicle and stare him down. Dan turned his focus away for a moment and then he turned around and the SUV and the man had vanished. Dan finished up his call with Brittany and walked back to the studio to be told that filming had stopped and the show was being canceled. And he claims that the Men in Black had something to do with the show being canceled. That makes sense to me because the people said, like, it's canceled as of right now. You know what I mean? And so you have this SUV show up and then all of a sudden he walks back onto set and they're like, oh, this is a no-go. We have to stop. So it's like the whole yeah. sequence of events is really interesting to me. And it could be that it had nothing to do with the Men in Black, but it seems a little bit strange that he sees this outside and then literally just walks back in and they're like, okay, no, we have to stop this now. It's kind of weird. I mean, that could also, to me, that reminds me of a, that being more Men in Black than the paranormal side. It's funny because when I think of someone making a phone call and outside being an SUV and a man in like black or whatever, for some reason, I immediately think about Scientologists <laughs> when you're pretty much on the shit list and they're watching you and they just stand outside and they walk you all the time and they make threats mm -hmm. that'd be so creepy if that was connected but that for some reason that's what comes into my head is like when the crazy scientologists watch you and threaten you and stalk you have you watched wild wild country on netflix yet i don't think so okay so you need to so i don't know if you know this but in the 80s there was a cult the rajashan cult or something like that it was very indian they had an indian guru dude i want to say it was rajashan or rajashin something like that it's this cult that went on i mean for years and they took over a town in <laughs> oregon called called Antelope, and they literally built it up from the ground, trucked in homeless people to vote. Like, I mean, they full-blown. They, they got all of their members elected to, like, all the, the local offices. They were running the sheriff's department. Like, it was, they took it Nuts. the fuck over. But one of the things that they did, which reminds me of what you're talking about, is very Scientology-like, where they were gaslighting people. All of these old retired people who lived in this really small town of Antelope didn't want them there. So these people started showing up with cameras and microphones and would mm. literally just follow around the citizens. <sighs> in hopes that they would just get so annoyed that they would leave. And it's funny because Scientology does that to mm -hmm. this day. And it's even in the Scientology documentary, which is why you mentioned that there's actually a scene right? where they're coming out of the studio and the people are there with all the cameras and stuff filming mm -hmm. them for no reason whatsoever. And that actually goes back and originates back to this cult, the Rajashan, Rajashin, whatever it is. And they're the ones who started it. And so it's interesting how it trickles down into mm -hmm. society. Because it's it, the tactic works. You know, you feel like you're being watched, followed. And then you might start off as being too paranoid, but then you don't know the difference of if you're just being paranoid or if there's reason for you to be paranoid. You're actually being watched at that point. And then you're just seen as crazy. Because then maybe when someone isn't watching you, but you're telling people, they're watching me, mm -hmm. then people just think you're nuts. And that goes into another part of with Men in Black, them stalking you and you have this weird story and you tell people and then they're like, you're just crazy. There's no man in 
in black. There's a lot of theories of what it could be, and I still think that there has to be both. I think it started off as being very human and very majestic 12 because they're not walking around in like army suits or something. These are more like the businessman where they're undercover. Of course, they're wearing black suits and a black hat, so you can't really tell who's who. I think that we still do that to this day with government officials. I think that what I'm the most surprised about is the fact that me or you have not yet had a men in black experience. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't want one. Although we came close when we were at Alien Con. I don't know if you remember, but I was convinced that that was an FBI agent at the end of the oh, bar. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And we're about. like, could that be Carl? He looked at me, and when I said it, he had like a weird smile on his face, like he heard me, and I'm like, that has to be him. But he was in a weird, very FBI-looking like suit, and like yeah. the way he looked and everything. Like we're at a conference for aliens, and this man is sitting here, and he does not look like he belongs not at, all. at all. And I immediately my radar was up, like, look at this motherfucker here. And I didn't see him the whole rest of the week, and it was just that first night. But I kind of want to have a Men in Black experience. Like, I do. I would like them to come up, like you know, find me somewhere, like at a grocery store, and be like, ma'am, we're gonna have to talk to you, like. I think I would love uh, that. You'd be like, yes, I made it on the radar. Yeah, like, exactly. Does that mean I'm coming up in the world? That's what I'm saying. I see it personally more as like a victory. Like, oh man, that I must be onto some Someone's shit. Listening. Yeah, if they're on my shit. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of low key hoping that they talk to us eventually because then that means that we're on the right track. I feel like legitimate human men in black type definitely go to these conferences, but I think they're smart enough not to wear those suits because they'll immediately grab attention. So it could just be that weird guy in the crowd that's dressing normal, but he's there by himself and he's acting a little bit odd and maybe he's off by himself, but he's sitting close enough to people where he can overhear their conversations. You know, you got to look out for people like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe we have seen more than we think about and because they're not dressed that way, we shrug it off or we don't like pay attention. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to look out for that weird man that's lingering around the conference and doesn't look like he should be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. doesn't actually look like he's interested. Like, he's more or like gathering information. Like he's trying too hard to fit in. You know what I right. mean? Like, you know, when they do like the ever- undercover stuff where like, you know, say it's a, a cop and he's, you know, joins a gang or whatever. And they put like the fake tattoos and like pierce his ear. And it just doesn't look right. That's what I'm going to be looking for. The one who's just like, mm, you don't, are you sure that you're yeah. supposed to be here, sir? Is your name Carl and can I see your badge? Because if you ask, they have to show it to you. Unless they're that whole secret thing, like, you know, Majestic 12 didn't come out with their own like little 12 badge because they had to be so well, yeah, secret. they had to be super on the DL. So you can't do that. But you know what? I feel like the person that we would be looking for would be just like this guy that we've seen a few times at conferences that's stalking around a certain speaker. <laughs> We hadn't. We never saw him last year. He wasn't there last he year. He wasn't now. there, but think about it. He was there for a couple of conferences. He was around the speakers. One time he was offering them drinks. He was mm-hmm. pretty much getting them drunk. He was offering them to come to his hotel room. He's the only one wearing a hat too. He's wearing like a t-shirt and like a baseball cap, which to me is a little weird. Like, like you're, you're covering a yourself from the cameras. You know what I mean? Like I will agree. He seemed like he was handling speakers and he kind of latched on to one speaker specifically. And like we just kept seeing all weekend long, like you, it would look like the speaker was having a good time and having a conversation. And then this dude would like escort him off. But it didn't seem like he was the speaker's handler. No. It seemed like he was just handling him. And it was very strange. It was super strange. And I mean, I have pictures of just mm-hmm. like, you know, when I was just taking pictures of the speaker from afar or whatever. And then like he's around them and he seemed like he's just like, ha 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 
about like, I don't know, trying to get drunk, trying to get in the circle, trying to find out information. And I think that's the most low key way to do it mm-hmm. is just to act like a super fan. Yep. But then you're always there in the circle. You're always trying to get information. I mean, who knows if he gets them drunk enough and is like, so tell me about this one story. Yeah, you exactly. Know? What do you know about da-da-da-da-da? You never know. You never know, especially because when you offer people free drinks, they usually say yes. Well, we would never do that. No. We would never extort a situation like that. But I think it's interesting. We should definitely look out for those kind of people. You know, we didn't talk about what isn't as common, but I have heard about women in black Ooh. experiences. So maybe that's something to look out for, too. Maybe people do have those, but they shrug it off because they're like, oh, it's just some woman woman on a power trip. So she's walking around in a suit or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting. Could you imagine like a Hillary Clinton looking motherfucker with a pantsuit, like coming knocking on your door? Like, "Uh, ma'am, we're going to need, I'm going to take you to breakfast and have a talk. (laughs) I would assume, and this is going to sound kind of sexist in a way, but I feel like they more use men because it's more intimidating. Because I think if a group of three women in suits came to my door, I would just kind of laugh in their face and shut the door. I mean, and I'm not trying to be sexist, but I'm just saying from an intimidating standpoint, three women aren't going to intimidate me. Three large men are going to intimidate me. I don't know if they show up to the right people that are like, you know, your sweet little dog, Fluffy. That would suck if something happened to her, wouldn't it? But then I think I'd just laugh and I'd be like, haha, women, go back to the kitchen. And oh, I'd we're go back horrible. To I'm just saying, maybe there's a reason you don't see so many of the women because it's not as threatening as men. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to be... Not trying to be sexist, but, but it's still sexist. sexist. Yeah. Oh my god. You know what's interesting too is Raya has a theory that they could also be a droid type of situation. Ooh, like it's how, an artificial intelligence. Yeah, how like a lot of people say that a lot of gray encounters that they're actually just droids and it's kind of like a common thing that's out there in the galaxies or whatever. Kind of like here, the common thing is like an iPad or something. But they're like, they're the minions or the worker bees, something like that. A lot of people say that too that they could be shape-shifting aliens and that's why you mm-hmm. see them with the no eyebrows and the hair is because they're shape-shifting to their closest version of us that they can get to. Mm. Which is why it looks like a but not quite us. A little bit off. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard a lot of instances where, let's say they show up to someone's house at their door, that it's the same situation as with the black-eyed kids where they kind of need to be invited in Mm -hmm. in order to enter and that people feel like they're playing, like, mind games. Well, and people also claim that when they're talking to these guys, it's also very, like, hypnotizing and memorizing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if a man in a black suit knocked on my door and wanted to talk, personally, the first thing I would ask for is, well, which agency are you from? You know, whatever. And it's funny how no no one asks any of these things, that you never have any of this information. It's almost like they're kind of slightly hypnotizing you to just sit there and listen to what the fuck they have to say before they leave, you know? Right. Not giving you an opportunity to say or do anything else. Or to think logically about it. Mm-hmm. Just to think like, oh God, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And then they leave and you're like, that was fucking scary. I feel sick. I could puke. And then you're like, up at night, who are those men? It's interesting that there's a lot of those similarities. And that's what jumps out to me. Those instances that make me feel that that's more on the paranormal side. And when I say paranormal, I mean like maybe alien-y, shapeshifter, whatever, Mm -hmm. opposed to like the humanoid version. Yeah. There's got to be both. We can't just be like, oh, everything's aliens, yeah. you know, because that's just not level-headed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to think there's plenty of instances where that's just how they dressed. 
So definitely, guys, go and check out The Men in Black. Search into it yourself. There's a ton of different stories. There's a ton of different books you can read. There's tons of documentaries. I just want to stress that it has absolutely nothing to do with the Hollywood movies, The Men in Black, that it is basically the opposite. Yeah, the movies were based off of these stories. Well, it just, to me, it seems like the the Hollywood versions are some, like, frou-frou-y, like, let's all hug and hold hands, and we're, we're here to just protect all of us. But it doesn't quite seem, when I think of The Men in Black, I think of them more protecting the the space and the alien and the paranormal side of it and not the human being planet. You know what I mean? I could see that. I feel like it's a mixture. So can we make a comment on David Wilcox's letter? I don't even know what to call it. His statement retracting a lot of stuff that happened. It's funny. I mean, he hasn't said anything about the first letter. So this was like his moment to like say something. So what is your overall feelings from this letter? It's hard to say, honestly. What I told you when I read the letter, I think it was clear that he was really upset about a lot of things. So it's hard to say. I don't know. I mean, we talked about it when we read the first letter, if, you know, it was legitimate or if it was another disinformation campaign. I think it'll be interesting to see how many people change their mind because it was interesting to me how many people dropped off from Gaia after his one letter. It's funny to me that someone can say they endorse this or they don't endorse this and people just flock to whatever is being said. It'll be interesting to see if a lot of people jump on to being with Gaia again because he says he endorses it. Yeah. And then that to me just shows that people just decide based off of what one person tells them. I think it just shows that at the end of the day, even if you're inside of this community, you can still not be conscious enough and still be a goddamn sheep. Yeah. And it's sad because that's what the one thing we don't want in our little bubble of the alien UFO phenomenon world is we don't want people who are sheeps. We want people to think outside of the box and think for themselves. And it sucks that it still continues and goes on despite no matter how hard as a whole the community tries to not be involved in that kind of stuff. That's why I stick to being a middle bitch because I have to take everything into consideration and see that there has to be bits and truth in all of it, but I can't be swayed one way or the other. And I think it's actually a pretty balanced place to be at because yeah. I don't discredit all the things that he says and I don't buy all the things that he says. Yeah. That's how it is. You can't just jump on one and or jump off of the other. You have to be open-minded to everything. I agree with you on that And one. also, I think it's important for us, you know, I've done this myself, is I think we're starting to take the people who are saying things opposed to the message. Mm -hmm. Like it's getting too celebrity-ish. You're focusing on what the person is saying and doing and what actions they have and they're going to be here, they're going to do this and look, they're making more money and that's why they're doing it is all money-driven. I think that we have to remember that this is about the information and focus it more on that than it is about people and making them sort of into like a celebrity figure. It shouldn't be that at all. Well, I think it borders that weird thin line of celebrity slash religion slash cults and stuff. You have somebody who has a message and instead of listening to the message, people are more obsessed with the person bringing mm -hmm. you the message. And I think that that's where we get into dangerous territory. We have to stop thinking about these people as being the face of aliens yeah, yeah, yeah. and start just thinking about the messages they're saying. And you have to remember that person can be interchanged with any other person. The only thing that matters is what they're talking about. I'm trying to be more thoughtful of that and take that into consideration as well and remember why it is that we like this subject. It's because we like all the different information and we like being able to sift through it and decide what feels right and what doesn't and also leaving possibility for our opinions to change and not 
not just be stuck in the root of, yeah, I don't believe this one thing that they said, so I just don't believe anything that they said. And you just have to be more thoughtful, I think. Well, I think a big goal that we have personally and of the podcast is to continually evolve. Yeah. You know, I think that if you go back and l- listen to some of our first episodes, some of the things we say here might be contradicting some of the things we said then because mm-hmm. our ideas and our way of thinking and our processes evolve and change and new things come to light. And, you know, maybe one day we don't believe something and the next day we believe something else. And what's beautiful is that that's OK in this kind of field because everything is constantly changing all the time. Yeah. And I think it's just important for us to be like that real lucid with the situation and not just like I'm sticking my feet here. This is what I believe everything else is bullshit you just can't you can't I don't think you can do that I don't think you can do that that's what gets us all confused exactly so that's a good wrap up so let's go into our favorite part of the episode where we get some shout outs all right so first we have at our skeptic level we have yawn from the good the bad and the just plain standard podcast then we have our truth seeker scotty at scotty doodle and destiny at destiny from space then we have our first made-up category which is the skeptical truth seeker we have adam from the not for everyone podcast and you can also find him on kzsm.org where he hosts a wednesday night love line then we have our middle bitches, Raya, our doll. Um, then we also have Bobby, who's also from the Not For Everyone podcast. And you can find him at Pinball Bobby and at Not For Everyone podcast on Instagram. Then we have our next made up category, which is the skeptical middle bitch. AP at Weather Traditions. Hey, AP, love you. Last but not least, we have our favorite category, the anything is possible. At Matt. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much, Matt. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening this week. We love you all. We can't wait for next week. We're going to jump back into the Secret Space program. I'm sure this is going to continue on for like 800 more episodes because I feel like every time we like nail something down, then like other something comes up and we're like, oh shit, we have to do this topic too. Everything intertwines with itself, but hopefully we're just building a stronger case for all of this. And then you can look back and say like, well, maybe that was a Secret Space program situation. Absolutely. That was a Majestic 12 situation. Mm -hmm. So we had to do it. Hang in there, guys. But obviously we're giving you a shit ton of information lately and we're just going to keep it up. Thanks for tuning in. If you guys want to hit us up on Instagram, it's at that one time I was abducted. Shoot us an email at that one time I was abducted at gmail.com and follow us on all the social medias and what's not. Thank you guys so much. Love you. Thank you guys. Fuck you, Mountain View, California. And before we go, shout out to Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, who has moved into the number one spot of our top listeners. No way. It is no longer Mountain View. It is Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, like hand and fistful over everyone else. They're like hardcore listening. So if you're from Beaver Dam, I love you, Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. Fuck you, Mountain View. Good night. Well, then they better come out and say who they are because then you'll have to start saying fuck you, Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. Okay, so that's what you do if you don't know who it is. Within a two-week period, because we have to give it a two-week period, um, if no one from Beaver Dam, Washington comes forward, (laughs) I will not only say fuck you, Mountain View, but I will say fuck you to Beaver Dam, which I don't want to because Wisconsin sounds nice because they have cheese. Go Beavers. Good night. Good night.